Hello, everybody, and welcome to week nine of Stat Chasing. The NFL trade deadline erupted with a ton of moves today, with a lot of fantasy relevant players switching teams. We have Naheem Hines going to the Bills, Jeff Wilson on his way to the Dolphins, Chase Claypool is now a Chicago Bear, and many more. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Connor O'Driscoll, also known as Dricko, here to break down all of the trades to impact the rest of the fantasy season, as well as other important trends from week eight. Connor, how is it going with you? How are you uh, feeling with this crazy NFL trade deadline? Well, the uh, the NFL is drunk, so I'm on my way as well. <laughs> I actually looked, I looked in my fridge uh, trying to grab a drink as well. I, I heard you were going to be drinking on the show, but I, uh, I drank myself clean this past weekend. So unfortunately can't, can't be joining you, but living. <laughs> yeah, man, I can't, this is weird. I mean, the NFL trade deadline, I feel like historically has been very quiet. We always get hyped up for it and nothing happens this year. I mean, along with the McCaffrey and, and Tony deals coming a couple weeks before it, it really feels like the NFL is starting to trade uh, more than they ever have. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it, to be honest. I think it seems to be all part of a trend towards more kind of like aggressive going for it. Like may, maybe this is bullshit, but I think of it in terms of, well, teams are going for it now on fourth down more often. Like teams are, are more willing to pull the triggers on these trades. And it's I, I, I it does seem to be like, hey, you uh, you you can't get anywhere unless you're willing to take some chances. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It, it seems like there had been sort of a long inefficiency in the NFL where teams weren't willing to trade draft picks or proven talent. And I like to see, I mean, you can criticize some of the trades, right? Like the Lion, uh, the Vikings, you know, TJ Hawkinson hasn't shown a ton in the NFL to be worth the second round pick, but hey, they're six and one. Um, or maybe even seven one after last week. Either way, they're they have a great record. Um, Irv Smith is out and they're going for it. And I think that's the type of move that you have to make, especially in a year where I, th- I think like part of this is driven by the fact that the NFC and in the NFL in general feels a lot more wide open than it ever has been. I think in the NFC the Bills and and Chiefs still look pretty strong, but in the NFC you have the Eagles and then I mean, I, I don't think there's any consensus on who on how you rank the NFC teams after that. So um, I think I, I think saw a tweet. Um, the I saw a tweet earlier today that said something along the lines of the Eagles going for it on fourth and on and goal in the Super Bowl, kind of like was a it broke a plane almost in terms of like how teams saw fourth down decision making. Whereas the the Rams just like saying fuck them kids, uh, and <laughs> and winning a Super Bowl, I think that that's that was probably a bit of a mindset. Sh- mindset shift in and what good team building looks like and i'm not, not saying that it is good team building but it's definitely exciting yeah yeah i'm with you there so anyways let's um we, we didn't have time to to chat before the show but connor i think we do something slightly different here i know we have a decent amount of live viewers tuned in and everyone wants to hear about the trade so why don't we jump into the running back position to start and, and skip quarterback so we can get right after talking through um, some of these trades at the running back and wide receiver position. Does that, that sound good to you? So you want to talk through the uh, running backs broadly at uh, first or uh, just the specific 
guys who were traded. Yeah, I think so. I'll pull up the charts here. Um, well, is that looking weird to you or just me? Okay, no. Okay, sorry about that. Um, sorry. What I was what I was thinking is, Connor, we just pull up, start in the running back charts and talk through it as always. But why don't we like make sure to cover the relevant trades? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we normally do with kind of like injuries and contingent value that sort of thing. Yeah. Yep, that sounds good. Okay, so for for everyone following along, we're jumping right into the running backs here. We'll we'll jump back to quarterback at the end. Just a lot of interesting trade situations to discuss here at running back. So on this chart, again, we're looking at running back expected fantasy points and efficiency. On the y-axis here, we have receiving expected fantasy points per game. On the x-axis, we have rushing fantasy points per game. You put those together, you get an idea of a total workload for each of the running backs here in the AFC. So, Connor, looking at this chart here, I think perhaps the first trade that we can discuss here is the Dolphins make the, the moves the Dolphins made today. They sent Chase Edmonds to the Broncos and sort of swapped him out with Jeff Wilson coming to sort of take his place perhaps um, on the Dolphins. We had seen in past weeks Raheem Mostert really consolidate the, the snap share and workload here in Miami. What do you think the overall effect on Raheem Mostert is of Jeff Wilson coming in and Chase Edmonds leaving? Uh, so it probably is a net negative uh, for Mostert. And I would say that just because we, we already knew – that most are just beat Chase Edmonds. Like, he was just better than him. Um, and I think he, he kind of did that to uh, Jeff Wilson. He's already done that to Jeff Wilson throughout his 49ers career. But um, it's probably... The, the Chase Edmonds was probably the ideal backfield, like, uh, not committee, but committee mate. Whereas... Uh, there's probably only room for it to to be a worse situation for Mostert than uh, Chase Edmonds, um. So it, it I I think that it probably um, you probably have a bit of more of a, a thunder and lightning uh, situation, yeah. um. But I do think that Mostert has been good enough that when like when he plays it. it good things happen for the Dolphins. Um, so I think he does have that kind of security and that like, as long as he keeps playing that well, uh, I'm not particularly worried uh, about his like starting value. Um, but it, 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 it probably, it, and this is a, a total guess. He's yeah. Probably not the workhorse after a game or two, maybe to get Jeff Wilson acclimatized. Yeah. I think I'm with you there where it's, I think there's more downside risk in the situation where it seemed to be an approach to kind of equilibrium where most sort of beat out Edmonds. Now that equilibrium equilibrium is kind of thrown into flux with Wilson arriving. I'm just looking at the numbers here in terms of how efficient each bit back has been on their respective teams. Mostert's at, according to PFS data, negative 0.1 FPOE per game. Whereas, I'm oh, sorry. Mostert's at negative 0.6 fantasy points over expected per game. So slightly less efficient than you would expect where Wilson is at negative 0.1 
fantasy points over expected per game. So similar, similar range there for each of those guys, but Wilson actually has been slightly more efficient. So I, I think there's some risk. And the other thing I'd throw out is I think Wilson and Mostert have really duplicative skill sets in a way that Edmonds and Mostert didn't. So I do think there's some risk here where they, they sort of view Wilson as a backup and complement to what Mostert does. And they view maybe Miles Gaskin as the backup to Edmonds. And it becomes a scenario where maybe there's a three man split with Gaskin involved. I don't think that's likely. I think it's, I think it will probably remain. But yeah, it's, it's possible now with, with Edmonds gone, that it becomes a a three man split. So yeah. No, go ahead. So uh, I, the only thing I do, it does seem like the uh, the Dolphins did prefer to have it be a, a, a two back split, and um, the only reason the the, the reason that Edmonds was getting phased out was just because he didn't play very well. So yeah. if uh, the only thing about the, the way I'm thinking about it is if Jeff Wilson, I think Jeff Wilson has to play bad for Ahmed to wear. Uh, to crack him for touches, whereas I think that most I, I know and I know the FPOE hasn't been great. I think Moser is playing good enough that he's still going to be like the dominant share, even if even if the I, I see Ahmed's main path to, to getting on the field is Jeff Wilson playing poorly. Is how I would say it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I think I see it similarly. Um, I think we can maybe move on to another situation, but yeah, I think we see it the same way. Mostert is likely, if we were just to sort of summarize our points there, Mostert is likely to remain the lead in this backfield, though we think Wilson is probably better than than Edmonds, so maybe there's there's a bit more risk that it's closer to 50-50, whereas the past few weeks it had really been Mostert dominating um, the sort of snap share there. Moving on, to another trade within the AFC. We had the Colts and Bills doing a bit of a running back swap with the Bills sending Zach Moss along with some picks over to the Colts in exchange for Naheem Hines. So I think let's start with discussing the Bills backfield here. I think that's the more interesting situation Sort of how it's played out so far is Devin Singletary has taken a pretty clear lead in workload here. He's, he's shown in sort of the 10 to 15 expected fantasy points range. And neither James Cook nor Zach Moss even really appear on this chart. I don't think they even appear on our other snap charts. So it really had been Devin Singletary taking full control over this backfield. How do you see it now with Singletary, Cook, and Hines join the mix. How do you think this backfield is going to shake out the rest of the way? So, um, I think it's a little bit similar in that Singletary had like just taken this dominant grab of the backfield because, uh, particularly Zach Moss underperformed, and now you're bringing in somebody who is unlikely to underperform to that same degree. So. Uh, you just have to. It it there, Zach uh, in Heinheims is going to play more snaps, get more opportunities than Zach Moss was getting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that he, he, he it like it's pretty clear that Hines was brought in to be the kind of like receiving back and that they've been looking for a receiving back to complement Singletary for quite a while and, and looking pretty hard. And so I think that um I th- I think that Hines is probably going to, to play that role. And uh, one thing so one thing that I I had a look at uh, and I had a look at, at this for a couple of the uh, running backs. So I just used the uh, run of his screener, which what's fun about the screener is that you can uh, you can narrow down these stat- expected point stats to stuff like turn down. And so what I did was I actually uh, narrowed down expected points to third and fourth or longer. And um, on, on third and fourth or longer, uh, the Buffalo running backs had for, for eight games, the last eight games have had just five expected points. And so if that's, if, if the, uh, if it's the kind of like clear passing down role that, uh, uh, what you call it, Hines is going to come in for, I don't, I don't think that's like that valuable for Buffalo. Um, just, just, just yep. because it, they, they, uh, they're pretty efficient, so those kind of third and long, they, they they don't get in those situations as often as other teams, and then they use their running backs in those situations way less than other teams just because they've got other good options. And so it really comes down to how much of the early down work can Hines uh, take. And I'm sure he can take a, a little bit of it, but – um, I I I do think that uh, it's still going to be. I think he's definitely going to be kind of the one A single there. He's still still going to be the one A, just probably not quite as valuable as he was in the last few weeks. Yeah, I I agree. That's the the most likely median outcome. I do want to bring up with with Singletary. I did a quick sort of look at fantasy points over expected again, comparing Singletary and cook and and this is a small sample for cook right relatively few touches but for the season singletary is underperforming his expected fantasy points at negative one fantasy points under expected per game whereas cook is overperforming his role with 0.8 fantasy points over expected per game so i just wanted to bring that up to to point out that while singletary has um emerged as clearly the top back by percent of snaps by how the coaching staff use him maybe that's sort of a trust factor on on passing downs and pass blocking whatever it might be he's clearly emerged there from a snap perspective but he has not emerged from efficiency perspective so if i can give one piece of uh, pushback or or just slight disagreement and so i always like to look at um the expected points in terms of one thing that is nice about PFF, they give you the expected points for yardage and then the expected points from uh, touchdowns. And so one of the big reasons that uh, Singletary has a negative uh, fantasy points over expected is because his expected touchdowns, he should have by their models, two touchdowns when he has uh, or two rushing t- touchdowns. He does have a receiving touchdown, um, but he has zero. So that's, that that is that's like minus 12 uh points um and 
he's he's slightly under on the receiving touchdowns. And I guess to me, that's like the most – obviously the touchdowns are really important, but that's like the most uh, volatile, hard to uh, uh, roll forward, project forward part of the expected points. Sure. Or, or, or overexpected. And so I guess um, – I st- if he, he's he's over his uh, expected receiving yards um by um a decent amount so he uh actually not maybe not decent he he has 323 rushing yards whereas he should have expected 305 rushing yards um yeah so, no that, again, that that's, that's a different way to look at it yeah that's that's fair pushback and I I, I guess the other point. So, yeah, I see that. A large part of his under-expectation is due to touchdowns. I also do think, though, that we have a lot of data that's supporting the fact that Devin Singletary is just not – he's kind of a nothing in the passing game. He showed that last year. I think he was one of the worst wide receiver or running backs in terms of yards per route run. Again, this year, 0.98 yards per route run for Singletary versus 2.79 for Cook. So, again, small sample. Right. Um, you know, I don't think Cook would maintain that on a larger role, but I do think there is something here where the Bills want to upgrade their passing down back. It's weird that they didn't just do that by giving James Cook a bigger role because it seems like he's shown enough now on his snaps to deserve that. But I do think there's some risk to, to your point, um, you know, where he started things off where, um, Hines will get more snaps than Zach Moss did. I think that is the risk here for Singletary, where if this becomes a three-man committee instead of just a two-man, I think Singletary could sort of lose his his weekly viability. I think he, the median outcome, again, is that he maintains the lead here. We've seen that last year. We've seen it this, thus far this year. But I think that snap share, again, if we go forward to this slide, He's had a top five role in terms of percent of routes and rush attempts of any running back in the league. I have a really hard time believing that will hold going forward. I'd see him more on like the the far right-hand side of this chart versus the the far left-hand side um, going forward. So I, I do think he takes a decent hit just by not being on the field yeah. as much. Um I mean, they, they've replaced that. They've replaced Zach Moss, so it probably does look closer to how the split was earlier in the. And it, I know we're still early season, but in weeks, let's say one through three, than it has uh, four through eight. Yeah, and I think Stephanie had an interesting question in the chat: Will Hines be used in the slot too? You think? I'm always skeptical of the running back being used in the slot. I'll kind of believe it when I see it, but that's something I'm going to closely watch next week. Does Hines get some slot snaps at the expense of Isaiah McKenzie? I think McKenzie has sort of had some bad plays, just fumbles, drops, that sort of thing the past couple weeks. So maybe, maybe there's a chance that Hines gets involved there in the slot. But again, with these running backs being used as a wide receiver, I want to see it before I, I really buy into that. Are, are you on the same page there? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it always it it like it's always one it's one of those things that's always easy to like envision, and uh, have an idea in your head of, of like them using this dynamic playmaker in that way, but teams just seem 
uh, hesitant to to give their running backs significant uh, receiving snaps. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very it's very rare that we see that sort of narrative work out. Um, who who knows with with Buffalo? We'll definitely track that <clears throat> going forward. I think the final thing I guess we're going to hit on AFC running backs here. Um, I, I do think this this situation has gone a bit under the radar compared to the other teams. The Colts, let's talk about the Colts. So they lose Naheem Hines. I also think Jonathan Taylor suffered a bit of a setback in the game with his ankle injury. It's not clear if that's going to keep him out. I think he he taped it up and continued playing. Um, but you know, we saw that with Zeke uh two weeks ago, right? Where he suffered an in-game injury. He finished the game and then was out the next week because of that in-game injury, right? So it's not the adrenaline for these guys and they return to the game and then they can still be out. Um, so we'll see on Taylor. But I'm interested in the the running back two situation now in Indianapolis um, with, with Taylor potentially injured or limited uh, going forward. We have Zach Moss coming in. We have Deion Jackson who flashed a pretty big receiving upside in his one game as a, st- a spot starter. I think we still have... Uh, Philip Lindsay in the mix as well. Are there any of these Colts running backs that you're interested in going forward as the RB two in India in, in Indianapolis? Um, I think uh, it's it probably is Deion Jackson, right? Where they, they've traded away um, uh, in Hines, and uh, they've traded for Zach Moss. But if I'm being honest, I will find. It, whatever way I can I can use and leverage the fade Zach Moss, I'm gonna I'm gonna push that button every time. Like for as long as he's in the NFL, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for ways to bet against him playing. Yeah, he's he's really not not very good. Um, I think that's yeah. I'm in the same boat. Like we saw a little bit of upside for Deion Jackson. I I think the Zach Moss thing was just a throw in in the deal. I don't yeah. think the Colts you know, or going out of their way to get Zach Moss. It was, you know, maybe something to make the salaries work. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I liked Deion Jackson. And yeah, I, I this is a good thing to bring up. JT's ankle looked pretty swollen. Yeah, he after that injury, he, he doesn't look quite right out there. And you just start to wonder, it's looking like a lost season for the Colts. They're trading away. You know, they're bringing in Sam Ellinger at quarterback. They're trading away Naheem Hines. Like, you have to wonder if they're going to be cautious with JT on sort of a loss season where maybe they're even outwardly tanking to some extent. So um, I'm I'm pretty interested in Deion Jackson. I think he's probably available in a lot of leagues. And I'll be making some some bids for him where he's available. All yeah, right. It makes and sense it, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, that was hitting on all the trades in the AFC. I don't think we covered the one we didn't cover was um, we did not cover Chase Edmonds. Ah, good, good point. Chase Edmonds, the Broncos. Yep. Um, yeah, so I, I, I had some thoughts on it. Um, so the uh, the, the, the Broncos coaching staff they've said that uh, Latavius Murray and Melvin Gordon are going to be the uh, 1A, 1B uh, early down starters. And they brought in Chase Edmonds to be the uh, the later, the, the third down back. And so actually this is why, this is the first reason that I had my look at uh, 
which teams use their running backs on third and fourth or longer. Uh, and so the the Broncos are actually ninth in in the percentage of expected points going to running backs on third and fourth or longer. And they've actually generated among the highest amount of points for uh, for backs, or sorry, expected points for backs in that situation. But the problem is that that is still amounting to only three expected points per game. And so to 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 be fantasy viable in 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 that role you either need to be able to be really good really efficient or you also need to be able to crack the earlier down work and i think that given what we've just seen from chase edmonds um the it's neither of those things look too likely and so i think for me I'm, i'm i'm not too interested especially given the uh, that it's the Broncos and the offense has not been good. And and, and, and you have the two other running backs too. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not a situation that jumps out to me as interesting. Look, I mean, we, we and I assume a bunch of our listeners play in these super deep leagues, with long benches. Like I think Edmonds is certainly worth a roster spot. If he got dropped by somebody, you know, I, I don't think he's the worst end of your bench flyer just because I think Gordon has been really bad. Uh, I know people have talked about how bad Edmonds has been, but Gordon's had major fumbling issues. We've seen the team just outright bench him for off the street Latavius Murray. He's at almost negative two fantasy points under expected per game so far this year. Like, I don't think we're that far away from him being a healthy scratch. And maybe I think what Edmonds biggest strength was, at least in Arizona seemed to be his pass catching ability. And maybe that part of his game, which is completely muted by the fact that the dolphins don't really use running backs in their passing game. And they have Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle. So maybe Edmonds can do some of the receiving stuff we saw out of Javante uh, earlier this year. But again, I'm just sort of trying to make a case for him. I guess if you're if you were to force me to say you can pick one Denver Broncos running back to stash on your bench right now, I think I would pick Edmonds just because it's the highest upside play, but the floor is really low. Like you're you're not starting him overall. I'm like not not that excited. <clears throat> yeah, um, makes sense, and I I do think it's worth pointing out as well that. Uh, Miami, they they do really have this low uh, total pie expected points for running backs, uh, or, or at least so far this year, uh, whereas Denver have been a good bit higher than that. Um, so in terms of like expected, it, it's probably a better expected points environment yeah. than Miami, and probably, uh, I guess, what you call it, worse uh, competition or better competition for if, if, if you want to bet against them um, and I, I I guess it it is still one where uh, I, I'm pretty wary of but uh, maybe on a deeper bench he he, he does deserve to be uh, rostered yeah I think like if 
you know, if I had Chase Edmonds on my team, I'm I'm more excited than I was about him in Miami. Right, because he was dust. Yeah, he was done in my he was done in Miami barring injury. Now I think he has like some path to fantasy relevance even without injury. And if that backfield goes down to two running backs, like you know, people have been hating on the Broncos, but it's still a team that is supplying a decent pie of total fantasy workload to the running back position. So it's uh yeah, it's a slight it's a slight win for Edmonds, but not like something I'm celebrating if I have him on my team. You're right. Okay. You're bad they traded them away. What'd you say? He was so bad they were happy to get rid of him. Yeah, he was he was really bad by a lot of the, the advanced metrics. Um he which I don't have up right now, but I've heard cited multiple times just how he's sort of ranked as one of the worst running backs in the league across a ton of rushing receiving metrics at the position. So not somebody we should have too much faith in. The other running back in the AFC I wanted to hit on before we go on to the NFC was Ramondre. I think it's notable now that we've had two weeks of Damian Harris uh, being active and Ramondre has remained in sort of this near workhorse role. Again, he outsnapped uh, Damian Harris quite significantly in week eight. He had 49 snaps to Harris's 31, 25 routes to Harris's 17, you know, so on and so forth. Seven targets, first two for Harris, 16 carries, first 11 for Harris. So, yes, it is Harris is getting more workload than the Pierre Strong, Kevin Harris guys were getting. But it's really exciting to see Ramondre hang on to this 1A role with the passing down work um, in, in this offense. So wanted to bring that up. Any, any thoughts on on Ramondre or um, and any other guys you want to talk about here? And not really. Definitely agree. Exciting to see uh, Ramondre get this stronger workload. And I will say I'm a little bit surprised that he's uh, dusting Damian Harris this uh, this hard, given that Damian Harris has has just been a good NFL player. Um, so I there there is a part of me that wonders if there is some kind of niggling injury for Damian Harris, and as the season goes on, it goes back to a 50-50 split. Um, but having said that, I've got I've definitely got a ton of Ramondre, and been super uh, excited to see uh, how well he's been playing. Agreed. All right, let's move on then to to the NFC version of this chart, and again. Let me quickly check my notes. Are there any running backs in the NFC? I, I guess the 49er situation we can talk about because Jeff Wilson departed. Uh, yeah, I saw a tweet there that you should uh, you should pick up CMC and start him with confidence in every league. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for all those leagues where people dropped. You know, I dropped Christian McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey in my leagues after he only got 10 carries in his first week with San Francisco. I thought he was, I thought he was droppable, so um, you should pick him back up. Uh, in those type of leagues, you're, you're right. four. We're team. at least a five dollar five bid. Yeah, <laughs> in your four team, uh, your four team leagues, he's definitely worth the pickup. No, but I, I do think that, like, again, this this show is kind of catered towards deeper leagues. I think we should talk about the San Francisco running back two situation because the, you know we know San Francisco they they look like a pretty good team. That's an offense that were McCaffrey to go down. 
you would definitely want a piece of that backfield. Do you have thoughts? There, there's sort of a bunch of guys to talk about here. Eli Mitchell is maybe back at some point. TDP, I think, has either been healthy scratch or not really playing much. Um, I don't know who else is still there. They signed a bunch of guys to the practice squad. Do you have thoughts on how to play the SF running back to situation on the waiver wire this week? Um, I mean, I guess uh, if somebody drops Elijah Mitchell, definitely worth, uh, definitely worth rostering. Uh, outside of that, it, it's a tricky one because CMC for Carolina for so many years, when, when he's healthy, is just he's so good that he accounts for this massive share of the ringback work. And like you, you if if he's on your team, you want to use him on the goal line. You want him using him as a receiving back, and it, it it's kind of hard to see a lot of value left over, and um, and so then you're left with pure contingency uh, plays, and the problem with for me uh, at least with a contingency play in this situation is okay. Well, first you have to be right that Christian McCaffrey goes down. And then you have to be right about which player to use. And in my mind, with some with the kind of caliber of some of these guys uh, not being, I get the pedigree isn't that high. And so this would be a backfield where I would expect if CMC goes down, with the exception of Elijah Mitchell, then Elijah Mitchell becomes, probably does become um, the... Uh, uh, the clear starter, um, but yeah, outside of that, like e- e- even if the, the 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 Red Sea opens up for TDP, it does feel like to me that they're they're just bringing in this clown car of like practice squad running backs, and it's going to be a tree four man committee. And uh, I know there's no such thing as a four man committee, but uh, it, it it's it's still hard for me to see even in that situation of there being enough. Yeah, I, I agree. I think maybe, you know, one to $10 bids on TDP is fine this week. If if Elijah Mitchell was dropped in your league, I think he is a priority ad. I just saw this report, you know, haven't looked into it a ton, but apparently, according to CBS, he is aiming to play in week 10. So that's only a few more weeks, I guess one more week uh, without right. Mitchell. So that that's interesting to me. I think I would be, you know, in the hundred ish range um, out of a thousand budget for Eli Mitchell, just because I think there could be some standalone value if you're really desperate. Like he's not someone you want to start, but I think they could, you know, just just looking at the snaps from this week, they did have I think twenty percent of the snaps they had two running backs on the field. If I'm doing the math correctly. Out of a total of 53 snaps, McCaffrey got 43. Jeff Wilson got 19. So that's a decent overlap of both those guys in the same field. Um, Anyways, we're getting really into the weeds here. But I think Mitchell, just mostly because of the contingent upside, I I agree with most of your point that it's basically a contingent upside play. I think he's sort of a priority add off the waiver wire just because of how they've used him in the past. I think he's talented. And um, yeah, I think this is a good point by historical anomalies that 
it makes sense that if they traded Wilson, they think Mitchell is close. Um, I kind of agree with that that logic that I think the 49ers value the running back depth and they probably wouldn't have shipped off Wilson if they thought Mitchell was still months um, from, from returning. Yeah. I think that makes sense for sure. And um, yeah, I, 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 and, and I guess it does make sense to um, have some value on a contingent play like that, where we know that absent CMC he, he Elijah Mitchell would be the workhorse. Like there's very few situations in, in 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 fantasy football or the NFL where you know that this guy is the workhorse if the uh, starter goes down. Um, yeah. But it it does seem like to me that it is kind of like a pure uh, pure handcuff. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I think it's one of the best. It would be one of the best handcuffs that that I can think of right now, outside of you know the super obvious Madison Pollard, um, AJ Dillon, you know those type of guys. I think I think Mitchell joins that tier of elite elite handcuff uh, once he comes back. And and to be honest, the people were drafting those guys like early-ish. like maybe maybe not. I, I in some cases, um, like Tony Pollard, I think was expected to have a standalone role. Whereas um, Alexander Madison was drafted early enough, just on pure handcuff value. So getting him for Fab is, is definitely good. And and you you don't really want to drop him unless you're absolutely desperate. But yeah. I don't I don't think you really do want to drop him. No, but I, I definitely saw but I have to double check our stat chasing league. I feel like I saw him dropped in that. I've definitely seen him dropped in some of my other leagues. Um, so, anyways, that's definitely I'm double checking on that situation in all my leagues if Eli would uh Eli Mitchell is out there. Connor, moving on from the 49ers. I think with Ronnie Rivers showing up in the chart for the first time, it's appropriate we talk about the Rams clusterfuck at running back. Uh, I think Ronnie Rivers actually led the team in carries this past week. And let me pull this up. Just double check. Yes. Uh, Ronnie Rivers led the team in carries with eight. Henderson still slightly outsnapped him, 24 to 21. Malcolm Brown also mixed in with 13 snaps. So this was really like a true three-man committee i don't know Malcolm was sick right yeah it's i think he had like a bad like flu in oh, the henderson room. henderson did yeah okay i i missed that R- regardless i think like we've seen this a lot with henderson this year where he leads the team in snaps and just doesn't really do shit like i guess with where you draft him he's been okay but I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, is it a symptom of the Rams offense just being broken that they can't really generate any points at running back? Um, is Henderson just, I made this, this comp last week when uh, Hassan was on the show that Henderson's almost playing like that Dare Agumbawale role from the Bucks, you know, from, from four or five years ago, bit of a deep cut, but basically like a pass catching back that runs all the routes, but doesn't get targeted and like, doesn't really get carries. It's just weird. Like, High snap chair, but terrible like fantasy point usage role. 
Anyways, I, I'm court, I'm sort of stumbling around here, but do you have any read on this Rams backfield or, or any way to attack it going forward? It just seems like a lost cause to me at this point. Um, yeah, I, I, I largely agree. Um, I do think that maybe when um, Daryl Henderson, maybe maybe on a week where he uh, he's not sick in the lead-up, maybe there is still something there. Um, but it is still such like a low it's it's kind of a nightmare situation for fantasy football where they don't give this high percentage of expected points to running backs in the first place and um, except for goal line carries and they haven't been getting there that often and then um, if if they're if it's going to be split up it, it, i mean it, it, even even um how do I say this? Even even if it's getting split up in in uh, in when he if if it's still getting split up like that when he's not sick, yeah, and uh, the, the, it's it, there's better there's better fishing territory I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and again, we're now looking moving on uh, for those following along on video. Uh, we're now looking at the the running back snaps and usage chart. Just quickly, quickly wanted to pull that up to make the point with Henderson that I don't know what you. I need to come up with a term for this type of role. It's kind of similar to Singletary, where they have high routes and rush attempts percent, but it, it's mostly routes and it's mostly empty routes. So they're kind of Henderson and, and Singletary are these unique, weird sort of backs where they're out there for a lot of snaps. Um, in theory, you would think they're like d- decent by lows, but the team just doesn't really give any points to the running back position. Um, and, you know, Singletary is on the bill, so he has that upside at least where I think he could stumble into a two-touchdown game just be- because he's on the bills, whereas Henderson on the Rams, broken OL, O-line right now, it's it's hard to to see that happening for him. But anyways, I think that was, that was good uh, coverage of the rams um before we move on to wide receiver i wanted to make a couple a couple points one i think the kenneth walker stuff is is really exciting again he's still somewhat muted on this chart with only about 40 percent of his team's route slash uh, rush attempts but this week he passed the test of having travis homer return from IR and he still led the team in snaps. I think he even had more, a higher percentage of team snaps than he had in weeks past out of 64 snaps. He had 49 to only 14 for Homer five to DJ at Dallas. He doubled up Travis Homer in routes run, doubled him up in targets just two to one and obviously led the team in carries. So this Kenneth Walker role, um, I think is is actually better than I even expected because he's sort of icing these these passing down specialists more and more. And yeah, I'll, I'll kick a question to you. Do you think he is a top top ten running back for the rest of season in fantasy? Do I think he's a top ten? Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Top and five. Top five. Let me see. Um, 
I, I think he could be. Yeah. But I think he's ordering on, on that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think in terms of, like, if I think about running backs who could end up scoring a lot of touchdowns and having massive plays to get them there, like, he's, def- he's definitely up there. Um, but... Yeah, tough tough five might be a little bit. That's that's a bit tougher to be confident in. Yeah, I think it's tough five is maybe a little aggressive just because there's there's guys just with much higher, you know, projectable receiving workloads than right. him. Um but yeah, it, he's kind of like in a Nick Chubb plus role. Um and he's kind of like doing the Nick Chubb thing where he just, you know, his efficiency almost seems projectable. I know it's tough to say that out of a guy who's played seven career games or whatever in Kenneth Walker, but he's kind of almost entering that territory for me where I think the right. over performance is, is somewhat projectable. So I think, yeah, I think like maybe in the running back, like eight, eight to 12 range is sort of how I would probably project him for rest of season. But I think he has top five upside of some things for sure and i think it's been it's been pretty positive for him because when penny went down we called him a dollar store uh, nick chubb and now we're calling him i don't know like target at nick chubb what's the what's where do the rich people shop (laughs) um yeah i don't know um department store Nick (laughs) department store nick chubb whole foods nick chubb or (laughs) that's a good one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no i agree that at least and and again like to be clear i'm not calling him a better talent than than nick chubb i think it's it's tough to say that with confidence but i'm saying that the role that he has right now is pretty clearly better than than chubb um uh, yeah wild that chubb is not even on this page yeah that that's, that's something we've on past weeks where um chubb's role is just it's unique right in that he, he still he only has like 30 percent of his team's um you know 30 percent routes and rush attempts as a percentage of his team plays but when he's on the field he's getting the ball like probably every time he's he's out there close to it so it's it's slightly misleading um but i think yeah. this is the first week where he's not on the fr- front page right he wasn't he wasn't last week either oh, okay. week he missed um but yeah, it's it's also because his role is I think so. I'm now showing this at just weeks five through eight. I think he had a couple weeks to start the year where um, his role was a bit stronger because they were in positive game scripts. Um, so, anyways, um, any any other running back points you wanted to hit on Connor? I think we can can move on to wide receiver if not. Um. I think it's interesting looking at this data where James Conner is falling in, where uh, he's been uh, mostly a, a root only player, and the uh, the rush attempts is super low. That's probably because of the game script and stuff like that, but still, that's uh, still interesting. Yeah, I think that that one is maybe a little misleading too because. So this is weeks five through eight. I'm guessing one of those games is when he went out early for injury. But regardless, the James Conner role has just not been, you know, even excluding that, the James Conner role has not been as strong as expected. Um, you thought you were getting a lot of goal on carries. 
and you haven't gotten them. Yeah, yeah. And you thought that with Edmonds gone, he would get a bigger workload. Um, it actually that has not been the case uh, with Eno Benjamin sort of emerging a little bit. Um, yeah. So so, anyways, looking now at wide receiver. For those following along, we're looking at wide receiver opportunity versus fantasy points and starting with the wide receivers that have run more than 85% of their team's routes. On the y-axis here, we have fantasy points per game. And then on the x-axis, we have weighted targets per route run. To explain that metric, it is targets per route run. So the percent of times on a route that the player is earning a target, but weighted by the player's average depth of target, such that a screen pass you know, doesn't count as much as a 50-yard bomb down the field. It sort of weights opportunity based on how far down the field you are getting that target, um, that opportunity at the wide receiver position. So that's the chart. Those are the metrics. Um, before we, we, there's a couple of trades we can hit on here again, Connor, but I wanted to start with DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, that's nuts. Yeah, it, it's crazy, right? Um, he's, for those, you know, listening along, he has an 85% weighted targets per route run. That is the best in the NFL besides Tyreek Hill. He is nearly breaking this chart um, at, at that extreme opportunity. So, yeah, I was skeptical of D-Hop a little bit coming into the year. Uh, but he clearly, I don't know, he's clearly performing better than he was last year. And he's clearly outperforming what Marquise Brown was doing in that offense. Uh, embarrassed to say this, but the first game I saw him play back, he looked, and this is, this is embarrassing to say almost, he looked angry and that he was trying so hard to make up for lost time. Like, and, and then you saw the stuff on Twitter where uh, he said something like, oh yeah, I'm only 30, I'm 30 years old. I'm past my prime. I'm, I'm practically dead. <laughs> And uh, he, he obviously watched too much uh, ship chasing over the uh, over the summer, and he just got. It, it, I don't know what it is, but he just like looked like he was trying to make every play that he could, and definitely. And this is embarrassing. It's like one of the most motivated players I've seen, um, and it's definitely it's definitely coming across in the in the performance. Um, yeah, it's it's. He's he's in a, he's obviously one of the best players, and uh, he's playing like it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I was going through the exercise today of, you know, thinking through how many wide receivers. If I was to draft fantasy today, how many wide receivers would I pick ahead of Hopkins? You know, let's pretend Cup is is healthy. I'm not gonna throw the injury into there. I would take Cup over him. I would take Jefferson over him. I think I would take AJ Brown over him, and then. Tyreek Hill and Diggs. But then after that, I think I would take him over Devonte. I would take him over Mike Evans, take him over Debo, you know, and anyone else you want to throw out there, Jalen Waddle. I, th I think Hopkins would come, you know, right in there at sort of my wide receiver five or wide receiver six. Right. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. He's up I there. I think Jalen Waddle is where I'm starting to go. Hmm, maybe, probably, but it, 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 it doesn't feel that. Uh, as uh, as as comfortable so that's probably exactly where he should be yeah yeah it's really been you know a perfect start 
for for DeAndre Hopkins in his return. Let's move on now to the Are we just going to move on past our uh, past our cover boy? Are you not going to give me my 20 minutes to talk about <laughs> All right. All right. Take it away with Rondell Moore who I'll I'll just I'll let, I'll let it be said that he does show up here in the cardio specialist tab, but um <laughs> go off on Rondell. So obviously he's getting he's he's completely dusted and AJ Brown actually not AJ Brown and <laughs> not AJ Brown uh Robbie Anderson who's the who's the who's the other oh, guy AJ Green AJ Green yeah no, he's no. sure he dusted him in in snap share and he's averaging about six and a half targets a game uh which uh I guess maybe you do want to see a bit higher and uh, but he uh he's been he's been playing well with it and uh, he obviously had the big game last week and uh, i think that one thing that's maybe a little bit disappointing is that uh so last week last week he um he had he had the big week but his uh, average at the target was just one and a half but he did turn those and uh, those one and a half and he had just ele- he had just 11 air yards but then he gave 92 he had 92 total yards so 85 yards after the catch and so i guess obviously um strong performance for him um getting the high roots getting the targets at pro, pro- not really going to crack maybe t- top 20 receivers on the season and i i hope that's hope that's wrong um, but definitely very, uh, I, I would consider a very startable uh, receiver. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and yeah, he's clear. I think there was some concern that he would, you know, I think Greg Dorch was involved, um, AJ Green, they brought Robbie Anderson in. I think there was some concern that Rondell wouldn't hold on to this massive role, but he's running all the routes on this offense. I think this, this team runs very high percentage of three wide receiver sets. So Rondell is going to be out there all the time. And I think with Deandre Hopkins out there, instead of Marquise Brown, it sort of allows, um, it allows Rondell to do stuff that he's more comfortable with the shorter a dot targets with Deandre Hopkins, taking a ton of uh, attention um, downfield uh, from the team's best cornerback. So I like, you know, I like Rondell like going forward again. I think like it's a little bit of the I don't know, Wandale Robinson, Curtis Samuel type effect right. where the low ADOT targets are gonna limit his upside, but that doesn't mean he can't be a good PPR starter. He's just probably never gonna emerge into this um elite wide receiver one, um, wide receiver two territory, you know. Or if he does, he has to be truly a truly exceptional elite player. Like yeah. Yep, I agree. Um, so the one wide receiver trade to break down here was Chase Claypool going to the Bears. Let's start on the Bears side of things with Chase Claypool coming into the mix. If, you know, it's tough because I want to ask how does it impact Darnell Mooney's fantasy season, but people aren't even starting Mooney anyways. Like, I don't know. Do you, do you think maybe the more interesting question is, do you think Claypool has any life as a fantasy asset 
on the Bears. He's probably going to a situation that's gonna where the team is gonna pass a ton less. He also has less competition for targets. So yeah, is it? Do you have any hope for Claypool in in Chicago, or how are you approaching the situation? Um, I think it's probably a lot better for the other Chicago Bears than it is for uh, Claypool. Um, because like the the biggest issue with um with the Bears is they have this they're they're last in pass rate over expected, um like it's extremely low. I think it's like minus seventeen percent, um where like they they should be one among the highest in the league in in pass rate, but they're actually like last in pass rate, <laughs> uh, which it that, that that's kind of hard to do, and it's it's hard to uh. It's hard for a receiver to really produce in that environment. Um, I mean, if I if I think about it, the fact that the other receiving options are so bad. I mean, they're so bad. It's like what's his name, Economus Ekun, Ekun, uh, St. Brown. Yeah, uh, I know I said that wrong. I think Akil Harry, Akil Harry actually ran as the wide receiver too last week. I think, or he was up there. It's it's right. Chicago, and and you've got these players that are so bad that you like in terms of like a weighted targets per run, and I think he's definitely going to improve in, in that metric because the the competition gets substantially worse, like incredibly worse, and it it probably is quite helpful to the offense overall, just because the other players are so bad, and he does. He is. He does seem like a pretty good fit for Fields. Where like I, I kind of see Fields as this like kind of like playmaker, where um he's got this really good deep ball, and um, when he gets out of the pocket, he makes things happen, and that, I think that could be like uh there could be things where they link up and 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 uh, boost each other in in that in that way, and um, and maybe um having Claypool. Um, encourages them to pass more just because it's not like okay well like what are we gonna are we gonna game plan around trying to and, and kill harry um so maybe maybe there's like yeah. boost there and um, i think i'm like somewhat so it maybe it's my best ball team uh chase claypool i'm i'm like somewhat encouraged of like oh maybe maybe that could that could be a, a good thing for him um but in terms of like starting him, I think you have to be in a tough spot to uh, to start Claypool still. Yeah, yeah, I drafted a ton of uh, Justin Fields to chase Claypool stacks, uh, predicting this trade would happen um, in week seven. So I'm I'm really excited for my my best spell shares there. But um, <laughs> joking aside, yeah, I kind of see it similar. Claypool, I think there's some. I mean, you weren't starting in Pittsburgh and maybe give him a couple weeks and you can feel okay starting him in Chicago. I think it's unlikely, but it at least opens up that possibility. They gave up a second round pick for him, which is pretty high compensation. So you think that they definitely an overpay. Yeah. Certainly seems like an overpay, but you think it would mean they have plans to use him. Right. We'll, we'll see. They have a vision for how he fits into their team. Yeah. And yeah, again, the last point I wanted to make in Chicago, I, I wish I had the stats to back this up. I don't have the team stats pulled up right now, but it does seem like they're 
they're trending a little bit more pass happy. Obviously, still very run heavy team, but there are some truly ridiculous games to start the year um, in terms of rush attempts or, or lack of passing attempts. And it's been a little less extreme recently. So um, we'll, we'll see um, if they want to, you know, at least test what they have in Justin Fields as a passer. Maybe there's some chance they they open up the offense, but I'm not I'm not holding my breath there. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next chart and touch on a couple quick hits here. I wanted to, you know, first, I think we should talk about Tyreek Hill and how insane. We just talked about how insane Hopkins' weighted targets for route run is. Tyreek Hill's is even higher. He's fully breaking this chart. And he has a eight-week sample size, or maybe seven-week sample size versus just two for DeAndre Hopkins. So this is truly an insane season that Tyreek Hill is having. Um, I, I didn't expect this at all. I think he's on pace for 2,000-plus yards. I don't really know what to say. Like, There's nothing actionable you can do. If you if you have Tyreek Hill, you're not right. I, it, it feels silly calling him a buy low because there's no way to actually action that. Um, but – for his strong as his yardage and receiving and all that has been, he's only scored two touchdowns in uh, eight game, uh, seven games, um, which yeah. given his yardage number, like, and his big playability, it it does seem like there's actually uh, there's actually positive a, a ton of positive regression, and uh, not you but that you would kind of like expect for the second half of the year, which is insane to say given how good he's been. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, yeah, I'm not selling Tyreek. Like, I, I don't think anybody is. But yeah, m- maybe the actual advice for like your your home leagues where you can trade, like, send out a digs for Tyreek plus another asset. Send out a cup for Tyreek plus another asset. Like, obviously, digs and cup are are amazing too. And I'm not like selling those guys. But if you can maybe get the Tyreek Hill manager to give you, I don't know, Tyreek Hill and ETN for digs. Maybe you know, again. It depends on your league. Like that, that trade might be quickly rejected by the manager if they're paying attention. But to someone who's just box score watching, they might be like, "Oh, I'd give up." You know, Tyreek's only giving me twenty points a game versus twenty five for Diggs. I'll give up Tyreek and a big piece to get up to Diggs. Like I would, I would maybe look at that type of move as as maybe some actual advice. Because I agree with you, Connor. I think Tyreek Hill is like underperforming his expectation which is insane because he's at over 20 fantasy points a game right now. Um, Definitely a guy where you, uh, you want to play him in DFS. Uh, you want, I guess you have to be careful about um, ownership and, and whatnot. Uh, but definitely something where, like, when he hits, it's like a 50. It, it, it's ju- not you. I would expect there to be multiple 50-point games the rest of the year. Yeah. Wow. Multiple 50-point games. I love that. Well, um, I mean, if he's going to get these huge bombs, 200 yards receiving. Yeah, with the D- DK bonuses too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also want to say on Hill that, like, also what this is underselling is he had, I think he had, like, five rush attempts last week. Let me double-check that. No. Did he have – I think he might have had five rush attempts the week before, um, and he had one this week. So, sorry, maybe – Maybe I just made that up in my head, but I do think he has gotten some like backfield snaps, especially like just 
tangentially I've seen it in the red zone where they're like scheming them up with these routes out of the backfield. So anyways, I mean, it, it's just um, crazy usage for, for Tyreek. Let's let's keep going through this. I, I want to make sure we have time to hit on the tight ends before our hard out. Uh, yeah, got to hit the backup tight ends. Um, this last wide receiver chart here. So this is the the rotational guys. He did have a rush attempt last week, by the way. He had a rush attempt last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I, I must have dreamed the five Tyreek Hill carries up in my head somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, anyways, last last wide receiver chart. Um, man, this isn't that fun to talk about, but I, I did want to say that, like, the Juan Dale stuff was a little disappointing. Now, I'm, I'm not giving up on him by any means because it's a weak wide receiver room, certainly, um, in, uh, in New York. But he ran, I believe, like a full slate of routes last week and only got three targets. So sometimes you're, I get concerned about these guys who have limited targets and, or sorry, limited snaps and they get these huge target rates. And then when they get a full-time role, it doesn't, um, it doesn't last. So I'm a little bit worried about that with Wandale, but I'm still holding him. I just think again, like to the Rondell Moore discussion, it's sort of a low dot, like more scheme touches role. I don't think there's like, crazy league winning upside with him i think it's more like startable ppr type stuff with with him um but we'll see connor any any gross scott i know you've been dying to talk about dennis houston right dennis houston you know i actually met him two weeks ago very (laughs) nice guy <laughs> yeah, he's actually uh he's a car salesman in in the uh, greater Columbus, Ohio area. Super yeah, he's got he he loves stock chasing and that we need to keep up the great work. <laughs> okay, let let's move on to tight ends. Um I did have a ton of notes on Keith Kirkwood, but we'll have to save that for next week. Tight ends. We're looking at here now tight end utilization and efficiency for all the tight ends with greater than 60% of routes run. So to be clear on the start, this is just weeks five through eight for the route percentage numbers. The targets per route run and ADOT numbers are the full season numbers because we see those as more sort of sticky. Um, The larger sample size is useful there, whereas for the snap numbers, we just kind of want the most recent snapshot of what's happened over the last four weeks for those teams um, and how they're thinking about their tight end rooms. So... A couple things we can talk about here. Um, what jumps out to me is the Foster Moreau contingent upside is really strong as far as tight ends go. He is out there running all the routes without Waller. You know, 80% of his team's pass routes. He has an 18% targets per route run, which is passable, not amazing, but but decent for a tight end. Super low dot, but... Again, you know, in the leagues we play where, where tight end is really dry in the waiver wire, I think Foster Moreau is, is a good add this week in hopes that you get one more start without Waller. Um, yeah, Connor, anything else you wanted to to talk through here at tight end? I, I know we'll get to the, the Hawkinson trade at some point, but anything else outside of that you wanted to talk about? 
so I know uh, in in general we want to kind of like more call out and uh, po- positive plays that like people can go after, and uh, rather than like rag on on players. But one thing that does strike me here is this high, really high root share for Dawson Knox, and then uh, one of the lowest uh, target per out run on uh, on this chart. Uh, I think only Cole Komet is lower at 11. Uh, Dawson Knox is 12%. And I guess a passable uh, 7.5, 7.5, ADOT. Um, but given uh, how much it costs to draft, how, how highly drafted Dawson Knox was, I do think that's pretty uh, disappointing. Yep. I I agree there. Um on the more positive side, at maybe maybe actionable side for for the casual leagues out there, Greg Dulcich's role looks amazing to me. He's running again a ton of routes. You know, he's in the Travis Kelsey range for for routes run, which is a good sign. Eighteen percent targets for route run, which is solid. But then the ADOT is what's really exciting to me. Thirteen point three ADOT. I know he's running a lot of slot snaps on that team because they don't have a great wide receiver three there in Denver. He's truly being used as more of a wide receiver than a tight end. And that's how he profiled out of college. So I'm I'm more willing to buy into that high a dot. And I think a tight end where, you know, the floor is low for every tight end outside of, you know, your Kelsey Andrews types that the ceiling is really what matters. And when I see a guy there with a near 15, a dot at tight end, that's a signal that he can get some splash plays down the seam, score some long TDs for, for that team in Denver. So I'm really excited about Dulcich. Um, I'm really happy for for Pat Crane, who I know, I think he actually um, took out a loan to invest in Greg Dulcich dynasty shares. Um, so I'm really happy for his long. I think he has a snippet of his hair out of, in his apartment. That's what I heard. <laughs> yeah, he's quite, he's slowly collecting um, pieces of Greg Dulcich uh, in his yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's gonna clone him. the the funny thing about the speaking of greg dulcich clones i think they have some kind of like hair style policy on the denver uh broncos tight end room because they got a bunch of guys with this long long flow catching passes at tight end that i've been fooled once or twice where i think it's dulcich and it's you know beck or saubert or i'm not going to pretend to know who all these guys are but um it's 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 interesting there in denver the wavy, the wavy hair group. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tight end. Let's move on then to. Oh no, we got to talk about TJ Hawkinson. Um, for... Oh yeah, we do have to talk about TJ Hawkinson. That, I think that's kind of emblematic of this whole trade that we were so excited to talk about the other trades, but this Hawkinson to the Vikings thing is just—it's so boring to me. I, I don't know why. Um, it's nothing. It's. You know, let's start with let's start with Hawkinson on on the Vikings, and then we can maybe get into the Lions uh, deep cut stuff. One one way I I, I wanted to look or, or that I thought it would be good to look at this was what percentage of expected receiving points and does tight end as a whole make of the Lions and um, receiving and the Vikings uh, receiving so. 
for the Detroit line lines loins and the the expected receiving share for tight ends as a whole is 23 percent and then for the Vikings it's 21 percent and what I've uh, what is very apparent that is that outside of like let's say the top five teams for tight end usage it's extremely flat these teams are very similar these middle of the pack to like even lower end teams are very similar in the uh, percentage usage for their tight ends so moving from one of those mid pack teams to another is it, it it doesn't mean a whole lot to me yeah yeah i i wish i had, I had a different more exciting take but I, i'm with you there it doesn't mean a whole lot it yeah if i have tj hawkinson on my teams i'm i'm like i don't i don't know how to think about this trade like it's it right. seems like it seems like a wash um but it's yeah. also it's a mystery box right yeah maybe there's some un, unknown upside there I mean, the, the, maybe the reason that they traded the second round pick for them for him is like, oh, we think this guy is awesome. Like we we uh, have been, we thought that we went into this year thinking that Thielen was going to be the same red zone red zone threat that he always was, and we we discovered that's not quite the case anymore. And here's a guy who's a big, fast tight end, and maybe he's that guy for us. And and you win there, and um, but. That that I'm I'm really kind of stretching to tell a story here. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to sort of stretch to tell a story with Hawkinson. Um. Yeah. Okay. I think there was one other. Oh yeah. The the other thing I want to talk about is the Lions um, backup <laughs> backup tight end situation. Actually, the chat. The chat is clamoring for for the backup tight end chart. Um, is that so, Sham Zerman? I don't. I'm not, I don't recognize that that list. I think what's be, Sham Zerman doing in our chat? <laughs> he must be a new VIP that that was brought by Stat Chasing. I haven't heard of that guy. But yeah, as we talk about the backup tight end chart, I don't think they're going to be on there. But we, we were going back and forth on on Discord chat earlier about the Lions tight end situation. We got Brock. Right and help me out here. Who was the other? Who was the other guy? James um, Mitchell. James Mitchell. And he so, was- before we get into this, I do want to tell the listeners just how much uh, Sam and Stat Chasing cares about delivering accurate backup tight end information for you. So, BFF, if a player doesn't receive a target in a game they showed them as not having played the game in their week-by-week data. So we went back in and redesigned our entire spreadsheet and chart system so that we could get you the most accurate backup tight end information possible. So just 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 make sure that you appreciate that. Yeah, we put hours in each week looking at all the backup tight ends. I can't even tell you how many hours of Josh Oliver and Jack Stoll film I watched them all 22 this week. Um, we, we called their parents and yeah. asked them, hey, what do you think your son is going to do this week? Char- yeah, character interviews. We want to know about these guys as people, not just as uh, objects in our spreadsheets and on the football field. Um, so, yeah, that that's just a little behind-the-scenes stat-chasing backup tight end process. 
we will give you the best Eric Salbert takes in the whole business. So, you know, subscribe to the Discord, um, DM me about John Bates, and we can have a lot of fun uh, on the Discord this year. Anyways, getting to some real advice for the backup tight ends. Uh, Harrison Bryant, yeah, historical anomalies brings up hysteric. Harrison Bryant has been canceled. Uh, that was a huge brand hit. For, for statues we talked up his contingent upside for for weeks and he just goes out and duds so hard that we had to change our entire spreadsheet system to account for him um so <laughs> he has been canceled uh yeah he's clearly I, I had a bad take there you know his peripherals look similar to njoku's but he did not nearly have the snap share that njoku did as a starter he did earn zero targets um, I don't think like close to 50% of the team routes. So he, they do not view him as a one-to-one replacement for Njoku. It's not a Foster Moreau situation. You can safely leave Harrison Bryant on the waiver wire, even in your, in your deep leagues, deep leagues, I think. And Stephanie, um, as you know, we put a hundred percent guarantee behind every backup tight end take that we give. So if you lose money on our backup tight end takes, contact our admin and yeah. we'll be in touch. We, it's actually Pete uh, Venmo's you if you lost money. <laughs> if you lose money on any of our back, since we're not being paid for this, any money you lose on backup tight ends, Pete actually directly Venmo's you. So, um, yeah, I would just go directly to him say, hey, I lost money <laughs> on Harrison Bryant. Um, Sam said you're good for it, and he should fully recoup you for that. Um, yeah, <laughs> anyways, uh, the other thing I like kind of serious thing I want to talk about before we go we have to talk about these players for a little no, bit. No, we have to. We have to. We have to. Chig, I, we can't go without talking about David Kinchin's favorite player, Chig Okonkwo. I actually do think this one is like, this is more I of mean, like a dime. We've been, we've been doing, we have a special segment for backup tight ends every week. And we've just had a major shakeup where backup tight ends are, could, could now foreseeably be prominent. We have to talk about them. I know they're not in our chart, but we have to talk about them. Isaiah Likely you're talking about? No, I'm talking about uh, Checks Notes, Brock Wright, and uh, Jen. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Brock Wright. Okay. Um, Okay. I think the take is um, quickly, because we're kind of guessing. I think add James Mitchell speculatively for like a – at one to fifteen dollars, and don't right. touch Brock right, probably. So I actually there is a there is stats available on James Mitchell. So in his junior year at G, at Virginia Tech, he actually did have a thirty two percent dominator rating, and um, and mostly because of the, the touchdowns, he had just a twenty four percent receiving market share, and then uh, early in his senior year, he tore his ACL, and. Um, and he was unable to uh, to, com- to perform like the forty yard dash at the uh, combine because of that. But he did he uh, he did get taken in the fifth round this year, um, and he is also a two time first team All Conference basketball player. Oh wow! So he's like the next Jimmy Graham, basically. Yeah, more more or less. And yeah. um, so I mean, he he is a rookie coming off an ACL share. Uh, but uh, it, it's interesting. It's it's a little bit interesting in your kind of like tight end premium leagues. Yeah. Uh, 
if you're desperate at tight end, he's he's you know worth a couple bucks. I think um, that's interesting. I I knew nothing about his profile. Um, before we go, Brock, uh, we 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 both agreed that uh, Brock Wright is without even lo- looking at anything. It's the, it's the name of a blocker. His yeah. name, first name even rhymes with block. It should be block right. In <laughs> yeah, you see a name like Brock Wright or like Jack Stoll or even like Cole Turner, and you see the name, and you can just tell it's a blocking tight end. You don't have to you don't have to check any stats. It's a full just sort of name based analysis. If your name, you know, is generally like one syllable for the first and last name, Jack Stoll. Brock Wright, that that's a blocking tight end. You don't even you don't even think about adding him. Um, so there is some. So he was actually coming out of at high school. He was the number one uh, ranked tight end, but then he went to Notre Dame, and as a four year player, uh, I think it might have even been more than four years in forty something games. He he was only a starter for eleven of those games. So when you are the backup tight end in Notre Dame. That's what you know. We're going to be excited to yeah. talk about you in a uh, stop chasing. I like this from Josh. He's he's sort of a uh, big. Le- he's he's doing the not in my league thing to me about backup tight ends. <laughs> he, he's been stashing uh, James Mitchell since uh, the second Bush uh, administration. Apparently, um, yeah, I, I got to get in some of Josh's leagues because uh, apparently in those James Mitchell was drafted in like the, the fifth round. Um, so yeah, I will, he's I will in a, on... yeah, this is a, a tight end premium, uh, at, at devil league development yeah. where he's, he's had him since uh, his freshman year. Yeah. So we'll bring, we'll bring on Josh to the show next week. I, I want to talk to him about, um, Mason Shrek, who is definitely a real person and not someone Connor just, uh, made up to try to trick me this week. That is definitely a real NFL player. <laughs> in fake tight ends <laughs> mason shrek is yeah that's okay we, we've gone off the rails i did i did have one real point before we okay. go chiga conquo for you dynasty sickos he's he's been kind of interesting 22 percent targets for outrun deep adot um and like as far as contingent plays go i would like monitor if, if hooper went down i'd be kind of excited about him Maybe at some point Tennessee throws in the towel on their season and, and he gets more run. But I know he was sort of a uh, trendy prospect in dynasty circles, and he's he's flashing a bit as a receiver, obviously, again, on a super limited role. Um, yep, he's been on <laughs> he's been on Stephanie's taxi for the last 10 years. Um, so this is I probably think we, we need a panel. We need a backup tight end panel next week. <laughs> Yeah, we need to make it happen. I mean, our, our viewership is clearly just skyrocketing once we start talking about um, the backup tight ends. Our, our engagements have been out of control. Anyways, uh, that was fun, Connor. I think we're going to skip quarterback this week. Um, I don't think anything major to talk about there, you know, as we're sort of approaching our our end time here. That was a ton of fun, guys. Um a lot of fun going over all the trades. Um, you know, I think I think I got a better grasp on some of the situations there from talking through it. And yeah, just a quick couple quick plugs. You can check out more analysis. And if you want to see these charts uh, to look over them yourselves, you can find it on my Twitter at Sherman underscore FFB. I post those charts every week 
with a couple of bullets and takeaways on each position. Um, so yeah, you can find that there. Connor, anything else uh, you wanted to plug before we head out? Uh, no, uh, I guess uh, uh, subscribe to uh, the uh, uh, Ship Chasing YouTube channel. If you're watching this live, you already are. Um, we have a, a lot of fun with the chat every week and uh, Ship Chasing subs do get to see it live and uh, interact with us. Yep. And yeah, we'll be bringing on um, guests next week to talk about Mason Shrek. So you can also join for that. Anyways, uh, that was a ton of fun, guys. Uh, we'll see you here next week. Good luck in week nine.